This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Let me get ready to go into, into Malachi. I am looking forward to this text today. It's a, it's a huge text, and there is... A lot to cover that I want to I want to walk through. Try to be um, really wise in how we go through this, but a lot that I want to I want to I want to say here. This is the dirt, the third dispute of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, there is this series of disputes that God is having with the people, <clears throat> and this is the the third one. Now, this one comes in a little bit differently because Malachi doesn't start off with um, coming on behalf of Yahweh, but instead as one of the people, as a matter of fact, one of the priests. Last week when Pastor Aaron was preaching, we heard God challenging the priests. He was challenging them for accepting half-hearted worship and offerings and sacrifices. And now this week, Malachi now turns and he speaks as one of the priests, and he does what they should be doing, like this is what you should be doing. And he turns and he speaks to the people, yes, on behalf of God, but as one of the priests. So if you'll stand with me, I want to read through the entirety of Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16, and then we're going to take the time to walk through it piece by piece. Starting at verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any dissenting of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor in your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord God of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Do not be faithless. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Like I said, this is a it's a it's a weighty text and um, one with much discussion, right? So, <clears throat> what I want to do is is take this from the top and walk this thing through. So if you're 
follow me. This is a family discussion that's, that's happening here, right? God is talking to, to the people, the family of God. It's a family discussion. And we start off in verse 10 where he says, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Malachi makes the point that the people of God are are unified by the fact that we have the same father. He starts off with this unifying point. We are unified by the fact that we have the same dad, we have the same father. Our primary point of unification is not race, it's not gender, it's not economic status, uh, what generation you're in, political group you you love or idolize, nothing greater Sorry, then the creator God of all existence is the unifying factor. This is what unifies us as the people of God. He's basically saying we are members of the same family, a family bound together by a covenant with God and each other, a covenant family. Now, the bonds of a covenant family, they go deeper than those of a natural family. We spend a lot of time talking about covenant because we're trying to connect us back to to, to what it looks like to have this covenant relationship with God. And like I said, the bonds of a covenant family goes deeper than the bonds of a natural family because a natural family bonds are rooted in the flesh. But a covenant family bond are rooted in the spirit and leads into eternity. Not all of our family bonds will, will, will do that. So he starts there. He starts the fact that we are united together as a family, all of us connected to God. And he asked the question, if we are a family... United together by a covenant between God and one another, why then are we faithless to one another? I want to slow down and look at the word faithless here. This word faithless inside of this text and what's being translated, I want to bring up three other words to help us get the feel of what's being translated as as faithless. One is untrustworthy. Another one is deceitful. Another one that you'll see in different translation is treacherous. That gives a different feel. You just think about, oh, unfaithful. But when when you think about what's meant by unfaithful inside of this text, these are the words. I can't trust you. You're deceitful. You're treacherous. Again, we talk about covenant a lot because we, wanna, we want us to, to, to know that we're in this relationship with God. And, and a covenant is a lot like a contract, right? So think like this. Two people who enter into a contract with one another, right? But one of them intentionally breaks the contract. The thing here, though, is that the one that's intentionally breaking the contract is deceitfully pretending that they're not. Treacherous. That's the feel here. 
They're acting like everything is all good, but I'm secretly breaking the contract over and over and over again, and I'm trying to pass it off as the contract. So thus, what Malachi is is saying here is, why have you dealt treacherously with one another? And he starts by painting this picture that our treachery towards one another is really treachery towards God. Why? Because he's the uniting agent between all of us. He is the one that, that, that makes us family. And this treachery, it profanes the covenant. That's what you see this word profane here. It profanes the covenant. So let me slow down again because I want us to, to feel what he's meaning by profane. To profane is, is to make it common. To treat it like just, uh, oh, just common grounds with, with no reverence to it. It treats likely our covenant with the God who created everything. So being faithful in our relationships with one another is a part of keeping our covenant with the God of all creation. And God intentionally works it out like that, right? And then verse 11 says this. Judah has been faithless An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. The people of of God's treachery not only has profaned the covenant, but it's also profaned the sanctuary as well. At a time, at this, this time, the sanctuary literally would mean the temple, right, a temple that was built with, with, with stones that they put together. And it was for the purpose that God would live amongst them inside the temple. And if we understand the history of what's going on here, the, as we said when we opened up, the people of God had, had, had been unfaithful to God, and God had allowed the, them to, to invaders to come in to destroy the temple and take them out of the promised land. And now they're back and they rebuilt the, the, the temple. And God is saying that you're doing things that are profaning it, treating it like it's common. This temple, they rebuilt it. They got more stones and they rebuilt the temple again. Now, as we continue to connect this whole thread to the covenant that we're living in today, this new covenant, I want to look at two verses that help us to, to capture um, how this is continuing to speak to us. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. He writes to them again in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, and he says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. 
as we start to walk through this, we start to see how this deceitful treachery towards one another profanes not just the covenant, but the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is represented not just by this physical temple, but the people of God themselves as the sanctuary. Peter talks about the same thing in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5. And he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander, a.k.a. treachery. Put treachery away like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, maturity. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It catches us right where we're at because even last week there was a lot of talk about offerings and sacrifices and now we're starting to talk about, about the temple and the sanctuary and, and, and as we are looking at that today, we can't disconnect ourselves because we ourselves as the body of Christ are the sanctuary of God. So it applies. And he's saying that treachery against the family profanes the family covenant, a covenant that's held together by God, and it profanes the sanctuary, which is the people of God, inhabited by God. By, by, by God. And he takes us right to some specifics and how this treachery is being acted out. I want to look at the second half of verse 11 again. Let's go back there. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. How? And has married the daughter of a foreign god. I want to linger there for a sec. Judah has married the daughter of a foreign god. There, now, there's a couple of layers for us to look at this, right? So let me lay it out. Layer one. So he says, Judah, Judah talking about Israel, talking about the people of God, and he's making a generalization, all right? Here's the people of God, a generalization, and then he says they've married the daughter of a foreign God. Now, wisdom literature and, 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 and warnings from the prophets, what we see when we look at the prophets and, 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 and scriptures in the Old Testament the prophets often described the idols of culture as an attractive woman, one that was loud, one that was convincing. Sometimes it was described as a strange woman or an adulteress. When we look at Proverbs, Proverbs talks about these two pathways. You have the way of God, which is also described as a woman, a woman named wisdom. And then you have the, the way of idolatry, which is described as a woman named folly. And then you look inside this text, and here idolatry is described as a daughter, a daughter of a foreign God. Why woman? It's because women give birth. I'm going to come back to that in a second. So that's layer one. Layer one is idolatry. 
Judah, the people of God, has formed a union with idols inside of their hearts. This is where it always starts. It always starts with a forming of a union, a marrying of idolatry inside of the heart. We've gotten married to a thought, married to an idea, married to a a desire that you placed higher than God, and, 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 and it starts right there. But layer two, the reality of this unholy union of the people of God and the idols of culture are embodied in a physical form. See, the idolatries of our our hearts are always taking form. One way or or another, you you watch and you look at it. The idolatries of our hearts always, they take form. But as I walk this out, I want us to see the family language because he's having a family discussion, and I want us to see the family language. He starts off, he says, we all have the same father. And all together, we're in a covenant family. Why is this important? It's because all of our late relationships are governed by the same covenant. My relationship with with you is governed by the covenant that I have with God. And your relationship with her or him is governed by the covenant that you have with God. There is a covenant that we have with God in between one another that guides how we, we, we love and interact with one another. It's important. This covenant defines and connects as a family. But again, I want us to peep the, the family language, even as he, he calls out an issue that he has with them. He says, Judah's abomination was marrying the daughter of a foreign god. The word daughter is still family language. But what's the problem? She's the daughter of a foreign god. A.K.A. not a part of the family. Which means not governed by the same covenant laws of love. See, God was against the people of God marrying people who were not a part of the family of God. Now, not because of race. There's a lot of people that take texts like this and, and they distort it and they make it about race and they say, this is why different races shouldn't, shouldn't intermarry and things like that. It had nothing at all to do with that. There's examples inside of Scripture with with Israelites marrying non-Israelites who loved the Lord, and it was glorious. It was because of the covenant. He didn't want them to marry outside of the covenant. The covenant is what united them to God and each other. It was vital to how their, their interactions with each other showed reverence to God and worshiped him. Like, there are certain things that I will not do because I fear the Lord. I may want to. I may may, may want to use the dark side of my hand and and go, but then I love the Lord. And he says, pocket it. And there are certain things that I do, and the reason why I do it, because I love and I worship the God between me and you. It governs everything. 
It says this private and public witness to the glory of God, and, and it displayed God's presence in their relationships. But if both people aren't submitted to the same covenant, it then hinders the, the living into the, the covenant realities for one. It hinders the public display of God's, God's goodness in, in, in certain ways. And, and you start thinking about this and, and you think about the family and the members of the family. And even for brothers and sisters who, who aren't married but desire marriage, if the end goal is marriage, then the implications of this truth that you see echoed in, in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14 when Paul says not to be unequally yoked. We say it's wisdom not to even date outside of the covenant. That would imply that, that there's, there's wisdom there. And even then, even then, we need to use discernment with, 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 with dating inside the covenant because not all that say they're in the covenant are actually in the covenant. In Romans 9 and 16, or 9 and 6, Paul says it like this, not all Israel is Israel. So you have to guard your heart because we can take a righteous idea from God and put it in the place of God. And the moment that we do that, in our hearts we've married an idol. You see it. You start to marry, you marry an idol and you see it because it's marked by a series of compromises. Even if you don't notice it, the family that close to you sees the fading away. I get it. Saying stuff like this is, uncult is unpopular culturally right now and stuff because it starts to feel like, oh, well, aren't you guys into diversity and aren't you guys into, into unity and inclusion and all those things? Of course. This is what, what, what God wants. It, it shows off who he is, but, but God wants unity amidst diversity in, in a way that's centered around his covenant, centered around him, who he is, and that's what makes it way more beautiful. Outside of God, unity and inclusion becomes an idol in and of itself. Many was feel like, ah, that's not fair. That's not inclusive. You're just outdated thinking. Listen, culture will offer unity and inclusion without God. Culture will offer aspects of the kingdom, but without the king. And that's sin. You look at them, you look at what's going on here, and you see that the people of God had been shaped by the constant practice of taking lightly their covenant with God. That in and of itself has shaped them over time. The practice has shaped what they offered to God in sacrifice. There was now no reverence. God was treated as common. Last week, Pastor Aaron was preaching. And what was going on there, the backdrop is that the people, they had no reverence in what they offered to be sacrificed to God. And they would bring these things to the priest. And the priest had no reverence in what they allowed to be sacrificed. So God was like, I wish one of y'all would close the door. And the most important sacrifice that's being profaned is their lives. Our lives. 
So they was in the practice of offering up things that, that was actually offensive to God. So in verse 12, verse 12, God is like, listen, I'm not taking this stuff anymore. And he lays out consequences if they continue. And then in verse 13, he says, all of your weeping and wailing, trying to get me to accept your lame offerings is nothing but a show. I've been stopped accepting your offerings. And so seemingly clueless. In verse 13, they ask, why? Why? Why are you not accepting our offerings? This is where God takes the stand as a witness against them. He says, you ask why? But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has wit- was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now we start to see where he's deriving this part of the conversation at. God is confronting so many things in Israel. But at this part of the conversation, he starts to zoom in and he focuses on the people of God in general at the beginning. And he said, we're all members of the same family. We're all united together to a covenant with God. But our treachery towards one another profanes that covenant. And it reveals treachery towards God. And one of the ways this treachery towards God is distinctly revealing itself is in the one another's of marriage. You see, the reason why this is a big deal to God is because Marriage is meant to be a symbol of the covenant relationship between God and man to the world. So that's a big deal to him. You continue to look at 14. The Lord is the witness between you and your wife. When people take marriage vows, right? What happens is you have a husband and a wife who, who, who are standing and they're looking at one another inside of their eyes and, and they are reciting vows that probably they wrote themselves or probably the person that's doing the officiating, the pastor is doing the officiation. This is a family marriage, a covenant marriage. So there's a pastor that's doing the officiating. And, and so first you have the, co- the, the couple and they are giving marriage vows to one another. And then there's a point where they turn and they look to the officiant, the pastor. At that moment, the pastor represents God. He represents, he's standing in and representing God. So so he says certain things to them and they say certain things back. And they are covenanting with God at that moment. That's what's happening. A lot of times people don't talk about this, but that's what's happening during that time. That's why there's two sets of of vows to each other. Then they turn and and the pastor's like, would you do this? Would you do that? And they, when they're saying yes, they're not really saying yes to the officiant. It's who he is representing at that moment in a covenant marriage, which is God. God is a witness to their marriage because he is a part of their marriage. And as a witness, God is confronting, we get really specific here as we carry this thing, as a witness, what's happening with the people in Malachi at this moment, God is confronting 
the men on their treachery towards their wives. He continues to confront. And in in 15, he says, did not he make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? You see, throughout this time, Malachi has been referring to the creation narrative. That's what he's been doing. In verse 10, he says, has not one God created us? He's referring to Genesis 1 and 27, the creation of man and, 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 and woman. And then in verse 15, he says, did he not make them one? He's referring to Genesis 2 and 24. Man and woman become one in marriage. And then he says, in their union, the spirit of God is with them. With a portion of the spirit in their union. And it's the Spirit of God bearing witness to treachery right now. We're going to talk about the specifics of that treachery in a moment. But I want to talk about what is this treachery hindering? Back to verse 15. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. See, God has a purpose in marriage. You go back to the creation narrative, Genesis 1 and 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He wants us to multiply his image on the earth by building families that reflect his image through their union, through their fellowship, how they interact with one another. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. This is why. What we was talking about earlier, this is why the way of godly wisdom and the way of the idolatry of the heart, of co- heart and culture are both characterized as women. Because intimate relationship in either direction will bear fruit, offspring. And the purpose of covenant marriage is to bear godly fruit. But here's the deal. When idolatry hinders godly fruit in marriage, God comes as a loving father and a wise gardener to prune and uplift in confrontation. So I want to get to the heart of, 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 of this treacherous idolatry God is, is confronting here. I want to get to the heart of it. We look at, and this is the NRV, I'm going to throw it up there. This is verse 16. We get to the heart of it. He said, the man who hates and divorces his wife says, the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Now, I wanted to get to this verse, but there was no way that I can get to this verse and and explain it properly without the build up building the, the, the narrative of covenant and relationship, because this is a, a highly misinterpreted verse. So I wanted to give context, right? And let me give a little bit further context that, that sets this thing up. See, back in, we're, we're in Malachi. This is the end of the Old Testament, but way back in, in Deuteronomy 24 and 1, Moses gave men permission to divorce their wives. And he says, if you find something indecent, just write a certificate of divorce. 
Now, the heart behind it is thinking adultery. But to understand this, we have to look through, through Jesus' eyes. Now, I didn't put the slide up, but I want to look at Mark 10, 2 through 9. Now, in Mark 10, 2 through 9, what's going on is there are some Pharisees that are, are questioning Jesus, and then they're questioning Jesus on this exact same text, in the Deuteronomy text. And so I'll just read it out, because you know, I want to look at what Jesus says here. It's important. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered, what did Moses command you? And they says, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. For starters, he said, this is because of the hardness of heart. What's the root behind that? Idolatry. Right? I'm going somewhere with this. And then you see, and, and he goes with the same creation narrative that Malachi is working through. Genesis 1 and 27, he created them. Genesis 2 and 24, the two becomes one. And then united by and with God, by the Spirit. Let no, with what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. But let's go back to the hardness of heart, the idolatry. Here's the backdrop of what was happening in Malachi. That's important for us, important for us to take. Culturally, men were in a position of power, right? Men was in a position of power culturally. And what they were doing is that they manipulated Scripture for power and control. Very similar to our times. They used their power to pursue idolatry. So because of the idolatry of heart, of their hearts and the idolatry and culture, the men, they wanted to marry women who are not a part of the covenant family. And the thing is, some of those men were already married. So they used Moses' permission of divorce to casually cast aside the covenant, profaning it. They was divorcing women over little things. By the time Jesus arrived, over little things, crazy things like stupid stuff. They're like, oh, divorce, 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 divorce. They just, you, had, you had to walk up and you hand them a certificate of divorce three times and it, was, and it was official. And they was doing it because they wanted to get with these other women. So that they could pursue the physical embodiment of their idolatry. Now, that idolatry, I want to be clear, was power and control. And it was used to serve self. And they were cloaking it in scripture. Pretending that they had pure motives and pure hearts. And, and God had to come to expose them. And he describes what they were doing as violence says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect. Basically saying this was an abuse of power. He's describing it in violent ways, as violence, when they should be a covering of protection. And I would, and I would be missing if I didn't slow down and say the same thing happens today. 
within the family of God, the church. There are, 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 are many people that use older translations or even current translations of verse 16 that just says God hates divorce. You turn to the King James Version, they'll say that. You turn to older NIV versions and other translations, they'll just say God hates divorce. And you have men today that use that translation of Scripture unjustly. Men married to the idol of power and control that have abused and manipulated women, women that God would protect by saying God hates divorce. While they have emotionally and spiritually abandoned their spouse. Why? To pursue their idols. And then they turn around, weave, turn around, and use Scripture as a prison. And God calls it treachery. The deceitful profaning of the covenant and the sanctuary. So translations had to be tweaked and, and because it wasn't communicating the heart of God. See, the point of the text wasn't that God hates divorce. In Deuteronomy 24 and 1, Moses gave men permission to divorce because of hardness of heart. But in Exodus 21, Moses gave women the permission to divorce if they was being neglected in order to protect them. And there was a similar thing that was going on. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives permission to both people to divorce if you are being abandoned by a spouse who is not of the covenant family. So it's not that it's primarily God hates divorce, but God loves marriage and he hates the sin that causes divorce. So the big idea of Malachi 10 to 16 is treachery does violence to the marriage that God loves. That's the big idea. He's confronting their their treacherousness. He says it does violence. I love marriage and it does violence. It's not representing my family. It's not representing a covenant. It's not representing the kingdom of God. And we're all connected inside of this. Now, as we get ready for communion, I want to draw our attention to... Verses 15 and 16, because in verses 15 and 16, the end of 15 and 16, he says the same thing. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The end of 16 said the same thing. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Guard yourselves in the spirit. He's saying guard against the temptation of the idolatry of power and control. And he's specifically talking to men. And this morning we are specifically talking to men. Guard your hearts because you live inside of a culture that tells you you should be on top. And everything should bow and and, and circle around you. And then you get your hands on scripture and and, and cherry pick certain things to do what you want to do. To stay in a position of power and control, but you're not submitting. What this guarding yourself looks like? It looks like submitting to the king of kings. This is what this guarding looks like. See, God never meant for us to be husbands in our own strength. 
Because when we try to be husbands in our own strength, we, we, we cling to idolatry in order to have power to make things go the way that you want them to go, as opposed to submitting to God and saying, Lord, have your way. Now, this thing is happening all over the place, but we want to walk the way that Scripture walks, and right now he's, he's, he's talking to the brothers. But here's the answer here. We have been united to a good husband, and that's Jesus. You see, he wants to be a husband through you. He wants to, 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 to be there in all of our weaknesses and be strong when we're weak. We all end up being the bride, his bride. And we all stand at this altar Sunday after Sunday. And we commit in, in, in communion and we... We covenant with our king over and over and over again, and we, and we renew this, these, these vows, and we say, Lord, we love you. We're listening to you, and that's the same call this morning. God did not mean for marriage to operate outside of him in the midst of it. And you don't define what that looks like. And this is a family issue, and it speaks to all of us on all sides of the fence, married and unmarried, the God of all creation who says, I love you and I'm with you. So when we come to the table this morning, I pray that we come with humbled hearts, that understand the sacrifice that our husband made, that we would be his into eternity. What we'll do is let me, some of us want to just have prayer. Prayer for your marriages. A few of us will be over here to pray. Or someone may, may just want to stand in the gap or, or just pray for something else. But as of now, the tables are open. And I pray that we come humbly, submitting to our king, knowing that he is the answer and our weakness. The tables are open. Let's worship our Savior. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.